church being here in the world, being the salt and light of the world. So for me, if um, I would have to lead someone new into the faith in Christ, I would have started with Ephesians. But I, I will also start with the Sermon on the Mount, right? Jesus establishing the principles of living for all of us, uh, for all his church. You know, how, how to live out the kingdom of God on earth. So Ephesians is all about that. Um, I wrote there, Ephesians is about the gathering together, the reconciliation of all things in Jesus Christ. So you have your Bibles open in the book of Ephesians. I would like you to go and read with me Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. Ephesians 1, verse 10. If someone want, would, would like to read it out loud, that would be great. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Or, yeah, the ESB says as a plan for the fullness of time to unite, to bring everything together, to gather all things, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. So, what does it mean with all things? Everything, the natural and the spiritual, right? So, we start with that verse, and that's the foundation of the whole book. God is in the process of reuniting, re, re, uh, reuniting everything in Christ Jesus and through Christ Jesus. And that's the work of the kingdom of God here on earth. Then Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. Let's move there now. And I will, I, I will like you to see this pattern. We, we, we just studied Ephesians, Ephesians 1.10. It speaks about... Uh, the general idea or the foundation of the book is the reconciliation of all things in Jesus. Now, Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, Paul is saying, because we have uh, this foundation, Jesus is uniting everything in Him and through Him. Now we are part of the recreation of God on earth. God is recreating the world. God is transforming the, the world. God is in the business of reconciliation, transformation. And uh, how does that happen? Well, through good works. And it's since because, just like I said at the beginning, we, co we come from that mindset of works as something to earn your salvation. But that's not the case. Ephesians is saying good works are important. You need to live out your faith. Because God will use that, those good works. And He will give you the power to do that. He will give you the wisdom, the knowledge to do that. To live out the principles of the kingdom. So you will be a transformative instrument in His hands. Whatever you go. Whatever you do. Now, that's the how we will do this. We just realize why, because God is uniting everything in Christ Jesus. We, know, we, we now know how that will happen through the church, through good works, through our testimony. Now, let's go to chapter 3, again, verse 10. You see the pattern? 1, 10, 2, 10, 3, 10. It says in the ESV, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So that's Paul's eschatology in the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is not like the book of First Thessalonians where you're expecting the, the imminent return of Jesus Christ. The book of Ephesians doesn't speak about that. Paul's eschatology in, the, in Ephesians is that right now, we have the task and the mission of manifesting the manifold wisdom of God, which is the mysteries of God, which is the church, the recreation of everything. In, and we need to manifest that, it's, he says, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And we will discuss that later. But I just wanted to, for you to see how in this do, uh, doctrinal part of the book, chapter 1, 2, and 3, Paul lays the foundation uh, for the exhortation that he will introduce us to in chapter 4, 5, and 6. Right? So, 
I, I would also like to take you to John chapter 17, verses 20 to 21. John 17, 20, and 21. It says, I do not ask for this only. This is Jesus speaking moments before his arrest and crucifixion. He was praying to the Father and he said, I do not ask for this only. He was, talk he was talking about his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me. He was talking about us. Through their word, he was talking about us and those who will believe after us. Now, it's interesting here, right? Through their word, through their message. We just read in Ephesians chapter 3.10. We need to manifest, we need to proclaim the manifold wisdom of God, the gospel. Verse 21 of John 17 says that they may all be one. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world, that the world may believe that you have sent so Jesus was saying, it's all about that unity. The unity of the Father and the Son is the same unity that we have right now, that we enjoy right now in Christ Jesus. We are in Christ and He is in us through His Spirit. And that's what the book of Ephesians is all about. Now, that, that's the verse that we just read, that they may all be one. Quick facts about Ephesians. First of all, Ephesians is a letter that traditionally had been attributed to Paul. Traditionally had been attributed to Paul. Why? So the early church fathers, Irenaeus, uh, Origen, all the church fathers in the second century, they believed that Paul was the author of the, church, of the, the book of Ephesians. Now, in the last two centuries, a group of scholars have decided you know, to try to uh, challenge that idea and they have been saying that actually Paul was not the author and we will talk a little bit about that later secondly the recipients of the letter were the Christians in Ephesus and Ephesus was a city in the western coast of Asia Minor actually was the capital city of Asia Minor was the third or fourth most important city in that time you can believe the first one was Rome the second one was Alexandria the third one was Ephesus and closely Came Corinth. So the, the, the city of Ephesus started as um, an important city for trade and commerce, but with the uh, arising in importance of Corinth, uh, that activity decayed. So what did they do? Well, they decided that we will now put all our efforts, our, our money into tourism, and they started a religious tourism kind of thing. So we know that one of the seven wonders of the ancient world was the temple to Diana, uh, Diana or uh, Artemis that was uh, uh, located in the city, in Ephesus. When Paul visited Ephesus in, uh, in, in his um, missionary journey, he realized that the city was you know, full of witchcraft, magic, uh, you know, idolatry, paganism. So you have that huge temple. You have a lot of commerce around that. You know that in those times they didn't have banks. So what did they use for their, for their financial structure? Temples. Pagan temples. People will come with, dona with donations from all over the world. The priests will store the money, will store the, the goods, whatever it was. And then they will lend it to people for an interest. So you see the importance of that temple, right? It controlled economy. It controlled the political sphere of the city. Um, so when Paul visited that city, he realized, well, there's a lot of work to be done here. There's a lot of darkness in this place. You know, the, the, the rulers that, that we just uh, talk about in chapter 3, the rulers, the principalities that, you know, Paul talks about that in chapter 6. They were controlling the economy. They were controlling the society as a whole. Uh, they were establishing, okay, what it is to have a family. That's why Paul had to explain what is the family. You know, similar to our world today. Where the enemy is investing time, effort, money to try to impose ideas 
and ideologies that are completely against the word of God, our Christian principles. That's why we need to, you know, uh, know the word of God. That, that's why we have this space, Bible Plus, to go deeper. So, um, so here we see a little bit about Ephesians. Also, it's part of the so-called prison letters, along with Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Ephesians is commonly grouped with Colossians, because there's a lot of overlapping uh, there. And it might have been a circular letter. So, that, so Paul decided to write it, and the purpose of the letter was to be passed across all his churches in Asia Minor. So let's see a profile of the church in the city of Ephesus. And for that, we need, actually, we need to go um, in time, and we need to go to the book of Revelations. The book of Revelations, who wrote it? John, right? John the Baptist? No, of course not. <laughs> yeah, John the Beloved. One of, the, one of Jesus' disciples. And he was in prison, right? He was in captivity. He was actually in exile in the city of Patmos. In the, in the, in the island of Patmos. Um, and he received this great revelation of Jesus. He, he saw heaven open and, and he got all this message for the churches. And in chapter 2 and 3, we see Jesus speaking to some churches. And, you know, as part of that list of churches, we find the church in Ephesus. So in chapter 2, verse 1 to 7, Jesus has to say this about the church in Ephesus. Now, please remember that when Jesus spoke this about the church in Ephesus, years and many years have passed since Paul wrote the book uh, to the Ephesians. Many years. So we will see what happened. Did the church in Ephesus actually uh, took hold of this word and uh, of this letter and apply it? We'll see. Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, not found them to be false, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. We can say, well, all, all that is good, right? We will love to, we, we will love Jesus saying that about us, you know, uh, being able to discern uh, when something is uh, truthful or false, uh, especially nowadays with so many so-called apostles and prophets and things like that. So we need that kind of discernment. But and also, Jesus said, also you are really good because you know how to resist evil and you have been enduring trials and you're doing things uh, okay. But, verse 4, here, here comes Jesus. And he says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. The love you had at first. And we will stop right there. And we call that the first love, right? First love. What is that first love for you? What does that mean? Is he talking about just affections? Is Jesus talking about worship? What kind of love? What do you think? So, so we see like a collective conversion of some sort, right? Yeah. Well, and I, I think this might be from the first 
Verse 5 says, Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. So Jesus is saying, You have forgot about the works that you did at first. That ties in with Ephesians 2.10. We have been created to manifest the wisdom of God and to do good works. The works that Jesus commanded them to do again in the book of Revelations. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, which means that God can, so, can decide to close the church. Yes, it's over. It's done. You guys are done. He has all, all the authority over his churches, right? And it says, and unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. So in the Gospels... Uh, we see Jesus speaking about uh, loving him. And he says, those who love me, they hear my voice and they follow my voice. Those who love me, they hear my words and they put it into action. And we see that in the Sermon on the Mountain, right? Um, now, also, something else that, that came to my mind just now is when Paul talked about uh, the end times, that many will come in that last day and will say, Hey, Lord, we did a lot of things in your name. We cast out demons. We perform miracles. We heal people. We did amazing evangelistic campaigns. We have massive with a, ministries with a huge budget and things like that. And we did all that in your name. And Jesus will say, depart from me, you evildoers. That always struck me, right? What? What are you saying there, Jesus? What, what does that mean? What that means, in my opinion, is that many times we find ourselves doing things in Jesus' name, but not for Jesus' name. So we do things in Jesus' name to build a name, to build the name of just church, to build my, my own name, especially nowadays with social media, where I want the recognition of everybody, I want everybody to, and I want the praise. And Ephesians will show us that the citizens of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, they don't care about their own praise. They care about the praise of the Almighty God, of the Almighty Lord, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. To Him is the praise, the epinos in Greek, forever and never, only to Him. So, in my opinion, I believe that's what happened with the church in Ephesus. They had a huge ministry, but it was, they forgot that it's for His glory, it's for His name. So, the word first there, first love, the word first in Greek is it's protos. And, and this word means foremost. It's, it's not chronologically, it, it speaks about importance. You know, what, what is first in your, in your life. Um, first in order of importance. And the, the Ephesians had left their first love for Jesus and they led paganism and the love for material possessions to, re, to uh, relegate the life of the Spirit to a lower priority. That could have happened too. You know, they were living in a metropolis. A lot of people, you know, um, buying, selling, things like that. And they were under all that pressure. And they decided to step into that kind of life instead of... Um, fulfilling their true calling, which was to do the good works that they were commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ. So Ephesus had the privilege, look at that, of having Apostle Paul live there for three years. 
a man that wrote 13 epistles, a big chunk of the New Testament. They have the privilege of having uh, John living there. Even more, Jesus' mother, Mary, lived in Ephesus until the end of her life. Remember Jesus at the cross? He looked at John and he says, this is my mother, right? And he was worried about her. He said, please take care of her. So Jesus took Mary under, under his care and, uh, and took her uh, with him. And he moved after that, that's what scholars said, to Ephesus, where John developed his ministry. Paul sent there Timothy, his prodigy, right, to work among those churches. So they have a lot of good leaders. Now, you, now do you realize that it's not much about how big of a leader we have? How good he is. It's more about we grasping the reality that we are all one body. And we have been united to Christ. And we need to fulfill this high calling of manifesting the kingdom of God on earth. To the rulers and, and authorities. Through good works. For his name, not our name. In his name and for his name. Okay, we're good so far? Yeah? Matthew 7. Well, that's what I just said to you, no? Uh, Matthew 7, 21, 20, 23 speaks about that. Doing things in the name of Jesus, but not for the name of Jesus. And Luke 6, 46, 49, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? So it's not only about, you know, saying things. It's about living your faith. It's about putting into practice what you know about God, what you learned today, and living out, and... For the glory of God. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. And then he goes and talks about a man that is wise. A wise man that builds a house on a rock. So in the book of Ephesians, we see this uh, pattern. Paul starts with doctrine. Chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. Everything spins around this theme of Jesus gathering up all things in him and through him. So that's doctrine, the, the first part. And then the second part, chapter 4, 5, and 6, is about exhortation and application of that doctrine. How do we live this out? How do we uh, manifest the kingdom of God on earth? Okay. And uh, I added this to... I think a way that we can revive our first love for God, for Jesus and His kingdom, is using the three T's. Our time, our talents, and our treasures. So our time. Like invest in time in, in God's Word. Invest in time in, in prayer. Invest in time in service. Invest in time. Like right now, coming in early um, to, to a service and just having this round table and discussing um, his word. You're investing time. So time, talents, your gifts, you know, this is a good place for you also to, to use your gifts. Please help us to uh, build this class together and, and listen to what God wants to teach us today. And talents and finally treasures. You know, we give to God not because we're expecting to receive more, but because we love Him. That's why we tithe. That's why we give offerings. That's why we use our treasures, you know, for His glory and for His kingdom. Okay? So a little bit about the book. This, is, this session is just an introduction. We will not uh, step into chapter 1 today. That will happen next Sunday. I uh, invite you all to come and bring a friend. <laughs> uh, so uh, the... The authorship and recipients of Ephesians. The author is Paul. Uh, I hold the traditional view. Uh, I believe it's Paul. Based on, he specifically says, I am Paul who is writing this letter in chapter 1 and then in chapter 3. Also because you see this theme of, you, you see a lot of Jewish elements. And Paul, you know, whenever you face one of his letters, just like the letters to the Galatians or Romans, you will see a lot of Jewish background in it, right? So here in chapter 2, Paul speaks about, you know, the, the church, the new temple. That's Jewish ter terminology. Uh, composed by Jews and Gentiles. Again, so it's, so it's Paul. It's Paul speaking, you know, from his heart. And the recipients 
are the different churches in Ephesus. So Ephesus was a metropolis, but it was surrounded by other smaller villages and cities. Just like Saskatoon, it's surrounded by Wormen and, and Martinsville is just 15 minutes away from here. So, so Ephesus was, you know, some, somehow was, you know, similar in that sense. It has a lot of smaller rural areas. And the emphasis of the, of the letter is the universal lordship of Jesus. The universal lordship of Jesus. And the epistle to Ephesians is a political, theological tract. It's, um, it's heavily political. Because in that time, you know what was the fastest religion in the, in the ancient Roman Empire? It was still not, not uh, Gnosticism. It was not Judaism, for sure. Islam was a millennial away. So what was it? was the Roman imperial cult that started around the time of Jesus with Augustus Caesar. So he came and said, I am the son of Jupiter. I am the son of God, the Caesar, the emperor. You didn't like it? Okay, you can say goodbye to your family. They will cut your throat. And they will kill you. So, saying Jesus is Lord equals, in that time, saying Jesus is the Caesar. He's the true Caesar. The true Lord. That's why the book of Ephesians is such a political book. Because Jesus was bringing this countercultural you know, argument that the only Lord of Lords is Jesus Christ. And he's above the Caesar. He's above all the rulers, the human rulers. Even more, Caesar in that time, his um, title was the son of God. And it, was, and it was actually something that you will see in your money, your change. If you would have a coin, you will see the face of the Caesar. That during that time, you know who was the Caesar during that time? The nefarious Nero. That was Caesar. And he was the son of God to them, to the, to the, to the imperial cult. So, Christian facing a crazy guy like Nero, who burned down Rome because of his huge ego, they have to face whether, whether to worship Jesus and declare, that's why Paul puts the emphasis on manifesting, declare that Jesus is my Lord to the risk of being persecuted. You know, and being put to death. Paul knew about that. He was three times in prison, you know, for manifesting this mystery, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's what Paul's emphasis here is to show that Jesus is the Lord, the universal Lordship of Jesus Christ. The date and the occasion, there's, there are two hypotheses. Hypotheses. The first one that it was written in the in the in the year 62, 62 A.D. while Paul was in prison in Rome. In Acts chapter twenty-eight, we read about Paul being in a house uh, prison and writing uh, about Christ. You know, and his emphasis was Christology. And scholars, traditional, uh, they hold to the view that Paul used that time to write the book of Ephesians along with the rest of the prison letters. Now, there's a second theory, that is that Paul wrote Ephesians while he was in Caesarea Maritima, which uh, it's a city in the coast of Palestine, where he was also captive for, uh, for a time until he was moved to Rome. And then we read about that in Acts chapter 27 and Acts 28. So those are, those are the two hypotheses. Now, if you remember in Acts, I believe, 20, 19 or 20, Paul is uh, accused of introducing a Gentile into the temple. Remember that? Remember that? Now, if you go to the book of Acts, the guy that Paul tried to bring into the temple was an Ephesian guy. So that's interesting. And then he was taken into, you know... He was imprisoned, and then he appealed to Caesar. We know the story, right? He, he was transferred to Rome, and then we don't know much you know, about Paul. What happened after Acts 28, we don't know. It's just a mystery. We believe that he was a martyr. He, he was a martyr, and he was uh, decapitated during 
Nero's um, term, government. So, so those are the two hypotheses. Now, it has a, a, a strong relationship to the book of Colossians. A, even more, 26% in the Greek, 26% of Colossians, you will find it in, in the book of Ephesians. So it's more like a verbatim of Paul, like copy, you know, copy and paste, seems like. That's why scholars, they believe that Paul actually wrote Colossians first to address a specific situation that was taking place in the church in Colossae um, in regards to Gnostic ideas. And then Paul had to talk about the all-sufficiency of Christ in the book of Colossians. But then he realized that this was not only happening happening in that church, but also in the rest of the churches in Asia Minor. So he decided to take that and from that write in general terms another epistle to the Ephesians. Now we need to know that Paul was not in a hurry when he wrote these letters. Not like First Thessalonians. He was in the midst of his tour, his second journey. Uh, he was at Corinth when he wrote that letter. So he had to write it because there was an urgent matter to attend. There was a lot of people that were saying, well, where is Jesus? You told us that he will return. We have some faithful ones that have passed away. We don't know what happened to them. And Paul had to bring some insight into uh, what happened to the Christian believers when they died. And he, talk, he, he also talked about the second coming of the Lord. But when he wrote Ephesians, he was in prison. So he had all the time in the world, right? Uh, so we, 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 we believe that he was in prison for like several years, maybe two, three years. So he had the time to write Ephesians. And that's why the Paul that we see in Ephesians is a different Paul that we see uh, in First in First Corinthians, for example, or in the Book of Galatians, where we see a Paul that is uh, even to the point to be a little bit aggressive. In Galatians chapter three, one, he said, "Oh, foolish Galatians," which in Greek actually is not foolish; it's a little bit more uh, nasty. <laughs> you want to put it that way. So here we see a, the same Paul, but in another situation, in a different stage of life. And we all know that you are not the same today that you were 20 years ago, right? I was not the, I'm, I'm not the same today that I was 20 years ago. For once I have hair, <laughs> right? So we are not the same. We change. And Paul changed, of course. Circumstances and situations change him. And he wrote it from a different perspective. So this is the relationship that we find with the book of Colossians. Eight, Pauline ideas repeated in Ephesians and Colossians. The first one is the stewardship of God's grace given to him for the church. So you see that in Ephesians 3, 2. And then the same words, seven words that are the same in Greek, similar, the same in Colossians 1, 25, where Paul defends his ministry. Second, the mystery which for ages has been hidden. And we see that in Ephesians 3.9 and Colossians 1.26. So the same Greek words, the same sequence. You see it in, in that verse in Ephesians and in the other verse in Colossians. So what, what is that mystery? What is that mystery? Well, it's the, it's, it's the church. We are the great mystery of God. Third, the redemption and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus the Messiah. And you see that in Ephesians 1.7 and Colossians 1.14. In the context of Colossians and Ephesians, the, for Paul, the redemption and the forgiveness is not the idea that the reformers decided to build around the book of Romans, where you see this angry God, his anger needs to be pacified, so he sent his son to die in our, in our place, and then he forgives us. The idea of Paul in Ephesians, the redemption of Ephesians, is we see the the rulers of this age, we see the prince of darkness, the prince of the air, and they, and, and that same spirit that right now operates on the sons of disobedience, Paul speaks about that in, in Ephesians chapter 3, we were part of that. So Jesus came to destroy the authority of the enemy, to redeem us from the enemy. We were under the government of the Prince of Darkness. Now we have been transferred into the kingdom of light. And so that's what Paul speaks about in Colossians and um, Ephesians. So that's Paul's idea of redemption. And then he moves that to the praise of the Father. 
who gave, who gave us Jesus. So you see the difference? Like, if for, for some of us that maybe come from a more Reformed background, that might sound shocking. I, I always heard about this angry God, that something needed to be done. He put all the wrath in Jesus, and now I'm free of his wrath. And now we see in Ephesians a different idea. We see a spiritual realm. We see a prince of darkness that held us into captivity for years. And now Jesus show up and he reveals the great mystery that God decided to put an end to the exile that we all experienced where we were cast out from his presence due to our sin and put an end to the reign of death and sin and Satan through the sacrifice of the beloved son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Then we also see the, the image of Christ as the head of his church, which is his body. That's, that's important because that's not, not actually a Pauline idea. That's a, a common idea in those days. Like for Romans, for, for the Romans, the state of the city was the body and the Caesar or the ruler was the head. So now... Because Paul was, you know, con- you know, countercultural, he was redeeming that terminology. He was saying, no, actually, the body is the church, and the true head is Jesus Christ, the Lord. Uh, Paul also reminds his audience of their past alienation and present reconciliation. So we were exiles, but now we are part of God's body. We are now His temple. We are now His people. Also, Paul's offering and his ministry of the myst- uh, of the mystery of the gospel. Also, we see um, in more in the exhortation part of the book, the old versus new humanity and ethics, you know, the old self, the new self. And finally, the household codes. What are those? Well, we know that Paul speaks about marriage in Ephesians chapter 5. He speaks about uh, fathers and children. He speaks about masters and servants. So household codes which is a, a term coined by Martin Luther in his small catechism when, where, where he used the, his, the, the German word uh, Hausfeln. Sorry, I don't speak German. I don't know if I pronounce it correctly. <laughs> Hausfeln, which means house table, actually. You know, so Paul decided to bring this, you know, to talk about family. How the, the kingdom of God affects the way that we relate to our family. Important themes in Ephesians. I, I can give you this presentation in an email if you write your email in the back of the paper. I can do that this week. Um, the head body uh, image, the mystery, you know, the use of the word mystery, the use of the word filling or fullness, uh, rulers and ages. So rulers speaks about uh, earthly rulers and ages uh, in Greek. Ions speaks of the spiritual principalities and Paul develops more that uh, Develop that more in chapter 6. And the so-called spatial, spatial scatology. What does that mean, spatial scatology? Well, we all know, and we have heard many preachers say, well, we are seated with Christ in, in the heavenlies, right? In the heavenly realm. So that's spatial scatology. Is the kingdom theology, the kingdom idea, that the kingdom of God is already here, but not yet. You know what that means? That we are living in the kingdom of God, but not yet. So we are... Looking for the completion of God's purposes with humanity and the full establishment of the kingdom of God when Jesus returns to earth. But in the meantime, we are in the spirit. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. We are walking in the kingdom. You know, we have that politeia in Greek, that citizenship that nobody can take away from you. You are a citizen of heaven. And when where it says that we are seated with Christ, actually it's, the translation, in my opinion, is wrong, because the, the, the Greek word there is a, 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 which means with or in. And from the context of the book, I believe, I personally believe that it, make more, it makes more sense to say that we are seated in Christ, not at the side, but in Christ, because we are one with Him, one body. That's why we have His authority. That's why we have his, when moments before his ascension, that's another important piece of our doctrinal core or, you know, set of beliefs as Christians, the descension and ascension of Jesus. So we all know that Jesus descended to earth to save us, but do you know that he also ascended? 
And where is Jesus now? He's seated in his throne. He, he, he rules over all. And that's what Ephesians talks about. Now, because of that, Jesus said, I, I will give you my authority. All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Now I'll give it to you. That word in Greek is exousia. It's, some, it's something that only lords have you know, back then. And because he's the Lord of lords, he gave us, he trans, transferred to us his authority. And even more, he gave us not only his authority, he gave us also his power. The power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us, that dwells in us. To face life, to face struggles. Because at the end of the day, the enemy will try to attack your faithfulness to Jesus. And I've, and I've heard many Christians say, well, because we are, when we are uh, faithless or we're not faithful, he's still faithful. And that's a reality, that's true. But we cannot minimize the importance of being faithful to the Lord. We need to, every day, we need to remember ourselves. Today is a good day to be faithful to God. And I will be faithful to God. Because He gave me the, His authority and His power to do so. The enemy is not against your money. The enemy is not against your health. The enemy is against your fidelity to Christ. He wants you to be an idol worshiper again. And you can tell me, well, I don't come from a, a, a pagan background. I will not, you know, be in front of a statue and worship a statue. Many times we have other idols. You know, we have other idols. Back there, you know, idols have names, specific names. But, for example, uh, Diana, she represented uh, success and she represented love and things like that. Many times, people can become an idol. You know, my family can become an idol. To the point that, well, my wife doesn't agree with me that, that being a Christian is, is a good thing. And I will just not attend church anymore. Because I don't want my marriage to... What comes first? Jesus. Your, your fidelity, your worship to Jesus. Something that no one should take away from you. And the enemy will try to attack that. You know, so we need to be aware of the schemes of the enemy, and that's why the book of Ephesians speaks about first about the high calling that we all have as citizens of the kingdom to manifest the power and authority of Jesus to all rulers and all authorities. So it also talks about Christ as the Son of God, the perfect man, and the Christ. And probably I will finish with this: the Son of God. I just talk about that with you. Uh, I said that. Remember, the Caesar was the Son of God. When Paul comes and says, hey, Jesus is the Son of God, that was countercultural counter for Roman imperial cult. Uh, the perfect man, which is a Gnostic idea. You know, uh, right now we live in a society that puts a lot of effort and a lot of uh, focus on rediscovering. You know, you need to rediscover yourself. You need to know who you are. You need to find your true identity. And we can talk about gender. We can talk about a lot of, a lot of things. That's just not Gnosticism. That's it. That's Gnosticism. You will find the truth within you. And that's just wrong. The only perfect man is Jesus Christ. You will find yourself in Jesus. Okay? So he, because he is the perfect man. Not you, not me. We're just jars of clay. We're just weak. And the Christ, which is a Jewish term for Messiah. So Paul is saying he is the Lord of all, even over the Roman Empire, even over the pagans, not, uh, Gnostics of Asia Minor. And even, and even over the Jewish nation, the Jews. is the Lord of all. And Christ as the Savior of the church. Some key words that we will find in, in our study of Ephesians. Number one, gospel. You will see that Paul will talk about that, about what's the gospel. And it's super important for us to understand what the gospel truly is. Especially when we hear, you know, different kind of gospels. So we, what's the gospel? We will discuss about that. Secondly, grace. What, you know, what does that mean? What is grace? So Paul speaks about grace in the book of Ephesians. And then the third most quoted word of Paul in the book of Ephesians is love. He introduces us to, the, uh, to a valid and truthful to scripture idea of what love is. And in the core of that, of all that, we'll find the universal lordship of Jesus and the unity that we, that we have with him. As we are part of his body. Conclusion. I consider that Ephesians offers a strong foundation for Paul's ideas of Christian unity, identity, ethics, and mission in the world. 
So we will talk about all that in the following Sundays. Unity, what does it mean to be one with God? And what does it mean to be one right now? Between you and me, we're one. Identity, where is our identity? It's, we need to find ourselves, looking inside, or we need to look at... Where do we need to look like? You know, where do we put our eyes on? And the reality that it, the letter to the Ephesians will, will show to us is that we need to look at Jesus. Because He is working in us and through us. Ethics, how to live, you know, how to show the kingdom of God to this world. And in the book of Ephesians, you will see that Paul takes time to show us that uh, the kingdom of God needs to be manifested in our homes. It needs to be manifested in our church. It needs to be manifested in the world. And then, finally, our mission in the world, which is Ephesians 3.10. To manifest the manifold wisdom, the gospel, the, the knowledge of God to the world. So the key verse is, as, a, as Ephesians 1.10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, and things on earth. We're good so far? Yeah? Good? So, in a nutshell, Ephesians is about transformation, reconciliation, unity. It's about going from dark to light, death to life. Uh, it's about finding out that we are special instruments in God's hand, that He has prepared good works for you to work on those good works and to fulfill a calling, <coughs> the calling of manifesting His kingdom. And um, in, the, in the center of, of this all, we find that Christ is our peace. So this message, the message of the gospel is a message of peace, which is interesting. Because going back to the, to the background of the book, when Paul wrote this, the Caesar, he used to claim that he brought the peace. The famous Pax Romana, right? The Roman kind of peace. In what they used to say is, <coughs> this territory now belongs to the Roman Empire. Your new lord, his name is Caesar, uh, Caesar Augustus or, Caesar or Nero or Claudius, whoever. He's your, your new lord. He's your benefactor. So if, if you want to move up in life, you need to worship Him. He will give you goods if you give Him worship. That's why the cult, you know, temple cult was so important. It's interesting because in Ephesians 1, we see that long passage, 257 words, Paul saying, no, your benefactor is not Caesar, he's the Father. He had blessed you, spiritual blessings. He had given you peace, salvation, all this. Also, the Caesar, he was this, the object of hope. Jesus is our, op, our object of hope, you know. And he was the maximum authority and the person that you, that you were called to look at and follow his example. Jesus is the person that we need to look at and we need to follow his example. So that's why it's so important. And the peace that the Romans said that they brought, the Pax Romana actually was imposed through, his, through their military power. Now, what's the, what's the power of the church? Our power is the gospel and the kingdom of God, which is joy, which is peace, which is righteousness. Okay? So, if you've got questions, go ahead. I will finish with, with a prayer, but if not, we will be close in this session. Anyone has a question or anything else that you would like to remark? Okay, a lot. Yeah, it's, we have seen a lot of things today in this brief introduction to a really complex book. So we will finish in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, the opportunity to go deeper into your word and um, realize, Lord, how important for us is to um, decide who we will worship. Lord, there, there are still so many Caesars out, out there that are trying to get our attention, our time, our treasures, our talents, our efforts. And I pray today that you help us, Lord, to realize that there's only one Lord, and that is you, Jesus. You are the Messiah. 
the Lord of the the Lord of Lords, the name of, uh, above all other names. And today, Lord, I thank you with my brothers and my sisters, Lord, for that great love. Thank you because you are our creator, benefactor, protector, savior, re redeemer. And Lord, help us as we go through the book of Ephesians, uh, Ephesians, Lord, to understand, to have knowledge of your word so we can live it out and we can put it into practice. And we know that that will bless our families, that will bless our, um, our society, that will bless our, our church. Lord, help us. I pray today for our families. And I know that for Ephesians, that's a, that's a huge uh, theme. And Lord, it's interesting how you led the Apostle Paul to write this in the context of spiritual battle and the context of being filled with the Holy Spirit. We believe that if our families are to worship God, first we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And secondly, we need to grab hold of the spiritual weapons that you gave us and engage in spiritual battle for our children and our marriages. Today I pray that you will help us to do that. And during this week, Lord, to meditate on this word and meditate on the great mission that you've come to accomplish in this earth, the mission of manifesting your kingdom, the, the mission of manifesting the power of our Christ to principalities, to authorities, to rulers, while we await the return of our King, Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for this time. I pray that you bless this service this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.